Okay, well, welcome to this second installment of our conversation with area energy providers from the greater Traverse City area. We have with us today uh, representatives of Cherryland Electric Cooperative, DTE Energy, Consumers Energy, Traverse City Light and Power. And I'm your host for the next half hour, Doug Luciani, President and CEO of the Traverse City Area Chamber of Commerce. Why don't we let our guests introduce themselves and we'll start with you, Rachel. I'm Rachel Johnson and I am the Member Services Manager at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Good morning, I'm Steve Rawlings and I'm the Regional Manager for DTE Energy in Traverse City, Michigan. Yes, I'm Doug DeYoung with Consumers Energy. I'm the Public Affairs Area Manager for the company here in Traverse City. And I'm Tim Ahrens, uh, the Executive Director for Traverse City Light and Power, the uh, local municipal electric utility. Thanks. Last time we talked, we covered a wide swath of topics and, and, and sort of touched briefly on a number of things. Today we wanted to talk a little bit more about specifically this um, issue of solar energy. We're hearing more and more about uh, how the cost for solar is coming down, how the potential for solar is going up. We're seeing um, more and more interest in solar, uh, perception of more demand for solar, not just in sunny parts of the United States, but right here in Michigan, and uh, a pretty substantial voice for solar right here in our Traverse City area. And there have been some great demonstration projects uh, that have been done. Uh, Rachel, would you like to describe the, what the Sun Alliance is? Sure. So we uh, started the Sun Alliance about two years ago now, and it is a partnership between Cherryland and Traverse City Light and Power, our local municipal. And the idea behind it was that we were going to go first and start a community solar project where customers of both utilities could purchase into panels that were installed in a single array at Cherryland's headquarters. And then in return for their purchase into that, they would receive a return on that investment. And we would purchase the power that their panel produced from them every month. So we started that with 224 panels, all of which have been sold, and we're now in the process of looking for another site to potentially do the next phase of that. And the idea behind it was that it was something that would grow on the model once we put the model in place. Great. And Tim, you partnered at Traverse City Light and Power on that. Has your experience been about the same? Yeah, it's been, I think it's been very well received, very positive. Um, I, you know, it's been the first actually <coughs> community solar project in the state of Michigan and I I don't know another project in the nation where a co-op and, and a municipal electric utility cooperated uh, to allow customers from each utility to participate which I, I really favored that model because it made it a truly community solar um, project and as customers move perhaps from one service area to the other um, they can take those uh, the ownership of those panels with them and still receive credits on their utility bills. So I think it's been very well received. So if you took so it's a, a well received successful local program that uh, provides about what percent of the energy into your systems? It's so small. It, it it's infinitesimal. It's not even measured. Yeah, and it it actually was set up um, to be to work uh, actually the simplest as a net metering. Uh, situation right into the headquarters of Cherryland's uh, building headquarters and uh, it doesn't produce enough to offset their entire bill so nothing actually feeds back into the system. Well you're all impacted by state and federal regulations and, and uh, a push for your 
your companies to do more with renewable energies and with alternative energies and, and you're going to have to do more as uh, coal plants are taken offline over the uh, coming months and years. Steve, what's DTE doing in Michigan on solar? Well, uh, we're happy to announce that um, DTE Energy is partnering with Ford Motor Company to build Michigan's largest solar array directly uh, on the grounds of Ford Motor Company's headquarters in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, the solar array is going to be uh, is going to generate just a little over one megawatt of uh, of power. Um, it is actually incorporated into a car canopy, which will cover um, about 360 traditional parking spaces. And uh, within that um, within that configuration, there will be uh, uh, um, connections for charging stations. Um, so Ford, the Ford Fusion Energy and the Ford C-Max hybrid engine can be um, charged there uh, directly uh, from that solar cell. The array uh, is a is an outstanding site. Some of the uh, um, conceptual drawings of it, um, they really look futuristic, um, and we're really happy to partner with Ford, um, Michigan's you know one of Michigan's great legacy companies um, to build this large solar array. Altogether, DT Energy um, and that solar array should be up and functional by this time next year. Altogether, DTE will have about seven megawatts of solar energy. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, it's small, but uh, we're, we're you know, plugging ahead. And how about consumers? <clears throat> well, we've got several programs that we're currently doing, and we're also looking at a pilot program. So the current programs are our expanded advanced renewable program, and then we have a, a net metering program. The two combined, when, when completed uh, in the coming year, will probably be about eight megawatts of generation, and that's customer-based generation on both of those programs. And then we are currently working to develop a plan that we expect to file with the MPSC at the end of this year. It's a renewable energy plan amendment that would really look at a community solar pilot program. And we don't have all the details yet on that. We're still working that out. Uh, but we expect by end of year to submit that with the MPSC and look at starting some community solar projects uh, in the state. So let's get right down to the, the key question here. Is solar a viable uh, source of energy for Michigan in a, in a meaningful way? And I'll be more clear. Uh, could solar provide 25% of our base level energy for the state of Michigan, either from solar energy that is generated within the state or that's purchased off the grid and transmitted into the state? Well, you know, I can tell you um, that solar is still very expensive, even in terms of the renewable scale. It's, it's the most expensive renewable energy. Uh, so I don't foresee it filling that much of a percentage of the renewable portfolio standard. I think um, everyone is committed to finding ways to reduce those, those costs, um, the installation costs, um, to increase the capacity factors, and to find ways to make it more efficient and, and reduce the cost. But you know, to put it in perspective, and I'll, I'll, Doug and I uh, were sharing this statistic just a few minutes ago, but 
you know, a, a natural gas plant uh, to, to install a new natural gas plant is about $65 a megawatt hour. To install a, a similar sized, um, well, and it wouldn't be similar sized, but to s install the same type of equipment for a solar, it's about 120 megawatts per hour. Uh, $120 per megawatt hour. So you can see it's roughly double what a brand new uh, natural gas fired uh, generating plant would be. And as long as those numbers are have such a giant spread, um, we have to be very careful that we don't have rate shock onto our business and industry, and most importantly, our low income customers. So got to keep it into perspective. And I think to add to that, when you look at that, that's with tax credits. And right now, the tax credits are set to be reduced in 2016 from 30% down to 10%. And that will really hurt the economics of solar as it moves forward in its current form. And that's, I think we have to look at that and look at that long-term expectation when you say, will it be 25% of our generating? Um, not under those current economics. That doesn't mean those economics won't change over time. That doesn't mean our ability to capture uh, the sun's power at different levels won't change with new technologies over time as well. We've seen technology get better. We only expect it will continue to get better, but it's only going to be a part of a larger portfolio. And you have to remember that we have to have a larger portfolio to provide that base load energy. Otherwise, what Steve mentioned on sticker costs are going to hurt not only our business community, but our lower income community as well. And, and all of us are going to be impacted by that. I, I agree. I think that solar, um, I don't believe anywhere, anywhere near the short term is going to um, make up 25% by itself. It couldn't. Um, with the prices that um, you know we're looking at right now, I think it plays a role in a generation portfolio for a utility, especially a small utility like Traverse City Light and Power. Um, I think that it's uh, our geographic area isn't the greatest for solar. I think everybody realizes that until so we can harness uh, uh, energy through the clouds, you know. But um, I, I think it is important. There is a segment of our ratepayer uh, base that is very interested in this municipal utility having solar as part of the mix. But I think that everybody pretty much has an understanding that it is not a cure-all. Uh, we do have to balance it um, exclusively going with, uh, or the idea of even having 100% renewable energy for a utility such as ours would have such a detrimental economic impact uh, to the business community and really the residential ratepayers that it would, it would uh, uh, I believe, drive businesses out of Traverse City's, uh, Traverse City Light and Power's uh, area. Already, electricity is a large expense for businesses. And uh, we're already hearing some concerns about the increased cost of power. Um, so we have to go into it, I think, in a very balanced way, in a very careful approach to how much solar we add. And I think that, and Steve, you alluded to this when you were talking earlier. So not only do the capacity factors for solar have to go up while the price either stays the same or goes down for solar to be competitive, but the other piece you have to think about is that one megawatt of solar does not offset one megawatt of coal or natural gas because solar doesn't always produce. And most people who use electricity prefer for it to be available to them 
whenever they want to use it. And so that has to also factor into a cost analysis. Yes, could we get maybe 20%, but do we want to? Because that's not going to offset 20% of our coal or natural gas. So we still have the cost of running those other generation sources while incorporating solar. And I think we have to be realistic about that market and what it can and can't do. So then there's the, the, the thought of taking the cost of developing solar and spreading that across the entire consumer base, not consumer energy base, but the electric consumer base. Uh, and, uh, and so that kind of leads to, the, to public policy and things like solar feed-in tariffs. And we've heard uh, the president talk about those. We've heard Governor Snyder talk about those. What Would someone want to take a shot at explaining what a solar feed-in tariff is? Well, it's, it's actually really quite simple. So a fee, with a feed-in tariff, basically some sort of a set rate is assigned to solar. The way you come to that rate, there's a lot of debate, but it's a set rate. And every kilowatt hour that solar array produces is sold back to the utility at that set rate. And then every kilowatt hour that customer purchases is at the normal retail rate. Generally, the set rate is going to be a, a little to a lot higher than the retail rate. So I may be purchasing solar electricity from you at, say, 25 cents a kilowatt hour, and then you're buying it back from me at 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So I'm losing 15 cents on every kilowatt hour of solar you produce. So when you say I'm losing 15 cents an hour, who's losing 15 cents an hour? The ratepayers that we all represent, right? So, so your ratepayers are in, in effect subsidizing mm -hmm. that in order to, it, and the, the thought behind that is to, to start creating a, a critical mass of of solar energy is, is is that why one would do that well I think for you know for two reasons number one it would be to reduce the uh, the time the payback on the investment for the resident that put the solar on their home or the business that put it on their business uh, and then to be able to start um, actually making money on their investment sooner than they otherwise would um, obviously the price the utility would be willing to pay, the higher that is, the faster they recover their investment. Um, you know, I look at feed-in tariff um, very much as a, as a social program uh, where the entire community supports maybe one, one business or one residential to help them recover their investment. It's, it's tricky because we've had voluntary programs before where everyone can pay voluntarily into for green energy or or you even can look at uh, green energy programs that where you can cover the costs of your own energy but now you're asking your neighbor to pay for potentially your ability to go out and put solar panels on your house your neighbor may live under 80 foot oak trees and not have the ability to put a solar array in their community in their property so where is the benefit to them in that and then you spread that out over all of your rate base and that includes income levels from low uh, to you know income where they're already being assisted in their power bills all the way up to those who you know potentially could afford to be a part of the programs so it's it's the economics of it as Rachel stated where you've seen you know, from low costs to really high costs uh, in these programs. And you know you, you have to be careful with that as you move forward. 
I think we can look at um, examples in other countries uh, that adopted uh, a heavy feed-in tariff uh, and, a, and, a, and a very meaningful policy. Uh, I'm, I'm, what am I trying to say? They had very good intentions uh, with very well, well-meaning individuals wanting to develop the solar industry uh, in Germany, for example. Um, but I think what we've seen in some of the European nations who, who had these very strenuous feed-in tariffs is that it actually, um, it actually was an overall detriment to their um, entire rate base, uh, the entire population who were paying energy bills. Um, I think had to do it over again. I think they would do it somewhat differently. Um, but I think that's the cautionary flag that we have to look at. There's perhaps some legitimacy to having a feed-in tariff so that we can get this technology up and running and so we can figure out what makes it better, more efficient, faster, cheaper. Um, but at the same time, we have to balance that with uh, we cannot overload an already loaded system that's uh, paying for energy rates. Yeah, it seems like it's, it's uh, very complex to to take the full cost of, of any type of energy uh, production. So car the cost of carbon emissions and the cost of cleanup and the long-term long costs of uh, doing things the way we've done them versus the potential of the new technologies. I'm a little confused about the cost that you're telling me about solar because I've been to a, a, a few seminars lately uh, about solar and I've been reading some of the literature and articles and, and, and I keep hearing that the cost actually per kilowatt hour of solar has come down to uh, somewhere between four and eight cents a kilowatt hour, uh, uh, and which makes it very competitive and in some cases even cheaper than uh, uh, traditional coal-powered coal uh, energy. Where would those kind of numbers be coming from? And what, what, where's the disconnect in what I'm what, what advocates are saying and what um, producers are saying? Well, when you look at the national numbers, I mean, there's about a half a million solar system, energy providing systems out there. And that's only totaling about 13,000 megawatts. So it's still a real small piece of our national energy. Can you put that in context for me? 13,000 megawatts, is that? like all the energy produced in Michigan? Um, well, uh, DT Energy has um, roughly uh, 13,000 uh, megawatts of generating capacity, just our company itself. And we serve 2.1 million customers in Michigan. Okay, yeah. so that's a good... Yeah, and so you're still looking at a small overall percentage nationwide of the energy that's used. It has that just because of those numbers, those sheer numbers of a half million dollar systems, has brought the price down. Um, and technology has brought the price down. But cost of panels are still, you know, in the $30,000 range for your home. Um, and that's still the economics of that still is, is still based on the fact that you, that 30% tax credit helps offset that to help bring you into a, you know, a playing field where it's cost incentive. If that, we're looking at numbers where those tax credits are starting to go away 
and looking at how does that impact the overall costs as we move forward. If the federal government does not renew those tax credits in 2016, those costs, again, are going to take an economic shift. And so it's still being played out with the added capacities and the real um, you know, reduction in those tax credits as, as we move forward. So there's no real clear answer yet as to where we're going to be in two years with solar, with tax credits expiring, and expansion of services and new technologies. And, yeah. I, and I would just say that I think the seminar that you went to and heard that information, they must have been looking at nationally, including all solar arrays, very large ones, obviously Arizona, New Mexico. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, the capacity factors of very large scale solar in those areas would be so much different than they would be here in, in Northwest Lower Michigan. Um, and, you know, I, I think if, you know, you were looking at just the production in Michigan, I think for Michigan, you have to consider only solar that um, capacity factors for this state and not include those from other states. Yeah, and I was just going to add, I think, too, with, with solar, unlike natural gas, very few people have a home natural gas generating unit, right? And so when you talk about the solar numbers, you're always talking about a scale from residential size all the way up to utility scale size. And you have, obviously, the hard cost, the cost of the panel, which will be driven down the more you see utility scale investment in solar. But the soft cost, coming to your home, installing it, maintaining it, those numbers are, I think, where you could potentially see more competitiveness and see the numbers come down a little more but right now it's just not there in terms of if every person is maintaining their own little generation there's just more cost across the entire group right um so i think that's the other other piece of it is thing it's very hard to make a comparison between the cost of solar and the cost of natural gas because we do we have economies of scale there um and i, I think it, it, that said i think it's great that people want to own their own generation and put it on their homes but it's it's expensive to do Doug, we assume um, from our customer standpoints, and you can find this information on our website, we actually have a solar uh, energy calculator that anybody's free to, to use. We assume that solar installed is about $6.13 per watt. So a typical five kilowatt system, which is a typical residential size that people are choosing, um, total install cost around $30,650. Um, if you're applicable to get the 30% tax credit, that reduces the overall cost by about $9,100, $9,200. And then, so from those numbers, you could derive what your payback would be in terms of energy savings. Um, on the DTE energy system, our, our electric system, if you were to install a five kilowatt hour, or a, excuse me, a five kilowatt sized system, um, we estimate that you would have um, a reduction of electricity cost of about eleven to twelve thousand dollars over sixteen years. So you can see if you do the math, uh, you know you're you're putting in um, you know thirty thousand dollars worth of capital, perhaps a little bit less if you get the federal tax credit. Um, if you sign up for the you know our renewable energy credit program um, and and receive um, you know the the, uh, the 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 credits from the energy company for the solar generated, I mean 
you could have a savings of about $12,000 over 16 years. So the, so the math still does not, it's, it's not a, a very typical discussion, a typical residential American family is gonna have. Um, that said, it is important to some people the options are there and available if you want to do it. And um, at DTE Energy, I mean, we believe that we need to be pursuing these things so that we can solve the problem, so that we can get costs down and drive efficiency into the system and into the technology. So um, I think we'll have early adopters in Michigan that do this, um, but it is not generally the answer for the typical American household yet. And the life of the panel is, what, 20 to 25 years. So in your program, uh, you know, perhaps they would pay for their original investment at the same time the panels actually are um, no longer useful. And end of their effective life, yes. Right. So if you did this on a scale, though, and it sounds like a lot of this is we're in an early, early adopter phase and that, that there's some pioneers that are sort of paving the way on, an ex, uh, on a technology that could be very exciting and could have some uh, potential as part of uh, a meaningful part of the energy mix going forward. Um, let's talk about some of the, the political issues of, of citing solar. Uh, so Rachel, uh, if you're, we know that it's hard to cite a windmill Tim, we know it's hard to say the windmill <laughs> in, uh, in our region. Uh, you all have experienced uh, some windmill kickback, pushback, no kickbacks. Um, so is it easier to cite uh, a large solar array like, um, like what you've done at, at, at the Sun Alliance or what American Waste has done? Or is there still a lot of concern from neighbors? I think it is a little easier, yes, to cite a, a solar array the size we've done. And certainly to put a solar array on your home versus trying to install a wind turbine on your home is is much easier. But I also, I think that could that process could be streamlined a lot more. I mean, we all, the complexities of zoning are, we've all felt that burden in some way. And I think certainly that, that makes it harder for people. And I know when you get to utility scale solar, and I, actually I think Steve, DTE may even have a story like this, but I know it can be really, really hard to cite utility scale solar because of zoning. I think it's easier to cite solar than it is biomass uh, in this town. But <laughs> no, I would just say that I agree with what Rachel said. I even a, a second community solar program. I I, I wouldn't expect any pushback um, from the community. Uh, obviously, if you tried to put one in in the open space, that would be a different issue. But if you're you're doing one on property that is not intrusive of public property, I think you wouldn't have any issues. And I think that, you know, like Stephen mentioned, people are putting it over their parking spaces. People are putting it over on their roofs of their buildings. I mean, there's a lot of real estate on the top of some of these buildings. And if the buildings are capable of holding the um, weight and the, the service that needs to be there, I mean, you look at schools and you look at manufacturing facilities, they have a lot of roof space. And putting solar up there really doesn't change the landscape of the community uh, like like when we've seen with putting up windmills and other types of facilities. So I think there's that opportunity there that people are accepting of. You know, we have 250 customers that are in our expanded advanced renewable program. Those are customers that have installed solar 
and then are participating in our program. Um, that program opens October 1st for other anyone interested in wanting to apply, and they have until November to apply into the program and get accepted. And there's a number of qualifications that they have to follow, and it's all on our website at Consumers Energy, and just type in EARP and you'll get what you need. But that will explain that. And then we have another 250 customers that are in our net metering program. So they are putting uh, a small solar um, panel array on their home and net metering it back into the system. Is that 250 in your in your area, Doug, or is that system, that's, system-wide? That's system-wide. Out right of now. how many customers? A million a plus. Million. So these, these are really our, uh, our pioneers in, in the business. I just, I wanted to add, I, I think um, what we have seen in this last uh, five or so years is that there is a very unique niche for solar. Uh, and I say that from a standpoint of representing a company that has facilities and infrastructure into the hinterlands of Michigan. I mean, throughout some very remote areas. And there are applications where it just is not cost effective to run power lines to have electricity at some remote compression metering facility, uh, some remote facility that requires lighting. Um, I think we've found as an industry and uh, really as, um, well, multiple industries have found that there are applications for solar energy that we didn't see before that actually do make economic sense and save money when you factor in these very remote plow-in locations uh, for, that require electricity. Um, and if it fits the envelope of service needed for that solar can provide, um, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think you'll see more things along the highway that are powered by solar. I think you'll see more signage, more um, uh, lighting, uh, remote communication types of things. Uh, and, and I think that's something where we, we have experienced as, as a state and as a nation a nice opportunity for solar. For, well, so, for solar to really expand and, to, you know, and for some of these other renewables to really expand, we have to be able to figure out a better and more consistent way to store it. Because as Rachel pointed out earlier in the day, earlier in our conversation here, Natural gas and coal generation, those facilities run all the time. But wind and solar and other renewables, there are peak times and there are times when you get nothing out of them. And so if they're, if you can, if they're, you know, last week was a very sunny week in northern Michigan. And those, those all of those solar panels were working probably at pretty good capacity based on what we saw last week. The first couple days of this week have been cloudy, rainy, drizzly, but we don't have that power from last week stored anywhere. And in, same in the home, if there's a way to store in the home and then utilize that power other times. That's, that's really the bigger part of this whole generation issue is how do we store and collect that power and we're not there yet in technologies. And, and until we get there, right now, the storage solution is the electric grid. 
And for as long as that is true, there's so many, I mean, we can't get into this right now, but there's so many conversations about how rates would have to be structured so that if you're not buying power from me, but you're using my grid to back up the power you're producing, you're paying your fair share of the cost of the grid. So there's just a lot of complexities there until the storage solution is, unless the storage solution is solved off grid, for as long as the grid remains the storage solution, there's just a lot there. Right, and then you'd have to get into subsidies of all forms of energy and talk about mm -hmm. what's fair. And so the big, big policy considerations. We've come to the end of our time. Um, uh, lots more to talk about here, lots to think about. Uh, do you all have somewhere on your websites where people can go to learn more about what your company is doing or considering relative to solar? Uh, we do, dteenergy.com forward slash solar. Same with us, consumersenergy.com, and you just search solar, and it's right there. At Traverse City Light and Power, it's tclp.org, and um, you can it's right on the, uh, the main page. And we're at cherrylandelectric.coop, and if you just go to clean energy, you'll see all of our, and you can actually also see the output of Traverse City Light and Power and Cherryland's community solar array there as well. Well, great. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk soon with the with the energy people. <laughs> okay, thank you.